3: My mission is simple to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull in summer, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I call people money makes friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Stocks just keep meandering in a relatively tranquil way, don't they? With the Dow edging up 13 points today, S&P advancing 0.19%, NASDAQ gaining 0.35%. Now, some would say it's the calm before the storm. But me? I learned a long time ago that you never short a dull market. It's good news that we've been lulled to record highs, and the market keeps shrugging off negatives, including yesterday's scorching hot inflation numbers. You can always tell when you're in one of these markets, because what happens? People talk endlessly, not about buying or selling stocks, but they talk about buying growth versus buying value. Now, that's a false dichotomy, people. I don't want you buying growth and selling value or vice versa. I want you to find relatively inexpensive stocks of good companies and buy them on the cheap because of this genuine Wall Street gibberish that drives down some stocks unfairly. Whether they're value or growth names makes no difference to me at Work to Cray America. The FAANG stocks, my acronym for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix and Google, always gets caught up in this debate, usually as the loser just when one of their ilk explodes higher this week, it was Amazon, as the legendary Larry Williams predicted in our chart segment early this week. So on Monday, strap yourself to the mask when you hear money managers spout this nonsense. It's what they talk about when the market's doing nothing. And with that in mind, let's go over the rest of the game plan. The market behaved extremely well yesterday, despite being dealt a pretty overheated consumer price index number. I tried to break it down for your last night's show. No one's buying what I'm selling, except for maybe the Fed chief. Well, the same thing happened next Tuesday when we get what will most likely be a steaming hot producer price index number, the PPI. It's not clear. Now you can explain away one data point, but, but once you get a second alarming inflation number, Well, the market's not going to look kindly on it, even if it doesn't come as a surprise. That's especially true when it's followed by a Federal Reserve meeting the very next day. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, because there's more to watch on Tuesday when Oracle reports after the close. This boring, old-school enterprise software company has seen its stock surge 28% year-to-date, thanks to remarkable acceleration in its core business. As the world goes back to normal, companies are spending a lot more on technology, particularly enterprise technology. There's a huge pent-up demand from last year. Not only that, but Oracle's doing quite well on its own version of the cloud. Yep, while the critics paint Oracle as a hopelessly out-of-touch fossil that will be steamrolled by a younger generation of software as a service outfits, in truth, it actually has great cloud solutions of its own and makes a ton of money. I bet it reports a fine quarter. Wednesday morning, we get two terrific snapshots of the housing market. Housing starts and building permits. Now, hey, by the way, long-term rates are down. Given that long-term rates plummeted, the yield and benchmark 10-year Treasury back below 1.5%. Gotta ask ourselves, will prudent homeowners block uh, in some of these rates? Will home buyers come off the sidelines? a According to the home builders I deal with, this is the hottest housing market they've ever seen. That's because there's a shortage of new homes, so we have to find out about the housing starts and building permits for all the potential buyers who want to move from the cities to the suburbs of the country. I think we'll keep seeing great numbers, including these. Then the big bad event of the week occurs. It's the Fed meeting. At 2 o'clock, 2 p.m., we will wait with bated breath to see if the words transitory inflation remain in Fed chief Jay Powell's lexicon. Now, a lot of people on Wall Street think Powell's dead wrong, but I share his view that a little inflation can't hurt, and it's only a little. The Fed is consist- of of less than transitory. The Fed has consistently undershot its 2% inflation target since the early 90s. It's not the end of the world if we overshoot for once. We've still got a 5.8% unemployment rate, and that doesn't even include the millions of Americans who've dropped out of the workforce since the start of the pandemic. I think it's too soon for the Fed to slam the brakes on the economy. But if we keep seeing red-hot inflation numbers, Powell might not have a choice. However, in the next month or two, I'm betting we'll see lower prices for many commodities. Why? Because the Chinese economy has cooled off a bit, and supply is going to get a chance to catch up with demand. Now, as much as I like Jay Powell, and I've made no secret of that, there's no such thing as a benign Fed meeting. They always throw some sort of curveball or even a beaning that's that's incurred. My pal in that endless question and answer session. Oh, my God. Hey, he should really limit himself to the 10 best questions, like a corporate conference call. No need to waste his time, especially since many of these questions simply aren't worth it. After the close Wednesday, we hear from a, a giant and thoughtful homebuilder. We hear from Lenore. Stuart Miller, the former CEO and now current executive chairman, likes to give you the state of the state on housing in that conference call. And when it comes to this industry, no one explains it better than Miller, except maybe Doug Yearley, good conference call last week. Toll Brothers. We know there's been an immense amount of inflation in the raw materials that go into a house, although the lumber's come down. But the final cost barely creeps up, and that's thanks to ingenuity of these excellent builders, including Lennar. Thursday morning, Kroger reports, KR. Lots of people wrote off this supermarket chain a couple quarters ago when they talked about the need to spend more in an uncertain time. There was also a lot of concern about the end of COVID-related pantry stocking. Well, that was about 22 percent ago as Kroger stock has become a standout performer. And that's because it's a major beneficiary from inflation. It's also well run. Now, I expected a great I actually do expect a terrific number from Kroger. Not many people are thinking that. That said, I'd rather own the stock of the largest grocery in the country. You know, that is that's Walmart, which has been an absolute dog. But I think it's merely buying its time before an emphatic move upward. Also on Thursday, we get results from a company you may not know, but I follow closely J-Bill. That's the outsourced electronics manufacturer. J-Bill does a lot of business with Apple, and Wall Street loves playing silly guessing games by trying to extrapolate from J-Bill's results to Apple's. That's why the analysts bother with a contract manufacturer like this one. I wish they'd just focus on J-Bill itself, which has been an amazing stock, up 36% for the year. After an unsung stock of an unsung company in an unsung bull market, J-Bill, nobody cares. And it's made you a lot of money. The other day I heard someone on air saying there really isn't any single company that has a good read on the the totality of e-commerce. And I got to tell you, I wanted to scream it, that's just plain wrong. Adobe gives you a great read on e-commerce, but they probably think the story's still all about Photoshop. Adobe reports on Thursday after the close. I think Chattanooga Ryan, he's one of my absolute favorite CEOs. He's reinvented this company multiple times, and he has more insight onto e-commerce than, than maybe almost anyone else on Earth. Now, lately, this stock's been meandering, and that has usually been the best time to buy it. By Friday, we should have one thing that I've neglected to mention in this game plan. A new meme stock, one with a big short position that can skyrocket if the Wall Street best crowd gets together and uses their concerted buying to crush the hedge funds on the other side of the trade. That's what it's all about. Who knows? It could be the stock of a company we have on later tonight. UWM Holdings, the wholesale mortgage lender with a very high short position. One thing I've noticed with the uh, WSB crowd, Wall Street Bets, they usually have one stock a week that they try to take up. I suspect we'll know the next one before the weekend. My suggestion, ask yourself if the stock would be worth owning on its own merits. Buy a, buying a stock just to spite the short seller's. I'm telling you, that's ultimately a mugs game, especially if the stock is genuinely worth, sh- worth shorting. The bottom line, next week's all about the producer price index number and the Fed meeting. I bet Jay pal will stick to the bullish party line on inflation, but keep an eye out for anything that might make him change his mind. Gilbert in Tennessee. Gilbert. Booyah from Memphis, Jim. Thank I'm you. An extra- Thank you. I'm a- I'm an Action Alerts Plus member ah. and a longtime fan. My question is about McDonald's Corp. Ticket symbol MCD. I think it's had a total return of 18 percent over the past 12 months, including a 2.2 percent dividend yield. Given the great reopening, do you think it's a buy, hold, or sell? Chris Capancy starting to do a pretty good job. He's being interviewed by... Uh He's going to be interviewed by our own Carl Quintanilla soon. I think he's going to tell a great story. I think they're doing a lot of good things technologically. Thank you for being a member of of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I will probably talk about these kinds of stocks next week on our club conference call. Mitchell in New York. Mitchell, hi Jim
2: Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. I hope everyone is well.
3: Oh, we're all doing good. Thank you for asking. I hope the same. What's going on?
2: Okay, thank you. So while Starwood Property Trust last year trading around $11 and now a year later it is uh, up 16 cents at $26.77 and that's 7 cents within the 52 week high and hopefully with the dividend being announced very soon, would you recommend purchasing
3: additional shares or shares of the company? Here's what I recommend. I recommend buying things that Barry Sternlich's involved in. He's a moneymaker. He's a really good man. He did a great job. If anyone remembers Starwood Property, it fell into the teens and we had him come on and he told a great story and everybody who listened made money. Why? Because he is a moneymaker. All right. Next week, keep an eye on the producer price index and the Fed meeting on make Money Tonight. Bitcoin's had a bit of a breakdown, huh, over the past month? But could volatility in the cryptocurrency continue? I'm going off the charts to find out. Plus, UWM, United Wholesale Mortgage, just said it will beat Rocket Mortgage as America's largest mortgage lender by 2024? Is the feud between the two companies just heating up? I've got the exclusive of the CEO. But first, backed by popular demand, can your portfolio handle Wall Street's twists and turns? I'll see about that when we play M.I. So stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Visibility at Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: The well, last year has been a pretty wild ride for the market, but it's been a good reminder that you should never put all your eggs in one basket. And that's why when you're investing in building your portfolio, you need diversification. So tonight we're taking calls and tweets from some great Americans who want to know if they are actually diversified. That's right. It's time to play. Am I diversified? I've heard you. You've said I haven't planned enough this year. I'm changing up. This is where you call me. You tell me your top five holdings and I tell you if portfolio is diversified enough or if you need to mix it up a little. So first up, we have a tweet from J.A. Salvatore 13. Jimmy, M- Jimmy Money. Okay, i them usually Jimmy Chill, but I'll call myself Jimmy Money. Love you. Thank you. Abvi Valero, BX, CSX, and Intel. These are five of the biggest equity holdings. Thanks. And have fun at the Bountiful Garden this weekend. This is my potato plant weekend. Um, they take a really long time. OK, so here we go. Uh, Now, this is a very interesting portfolio because I I do love them all, uh, but I don't I I, and I like the categories, but there is one that I think we're going to have to make a change. Blackstone, just an absolutely terrific fund manager, okay? ABV on it for ActionLargePlus.com. I travel to us, great yield, making a great quarter. CSX, you know I think the railroads are great. Look, if you're going to own a refiner, Valero is terrific. My problem is I like the semis very much. I would far prefer to see AMD, where that Xilinx steel is going to close and AMD takes off. Otherwise, I think the... It's a very, very good portfolio. Now we're going to go to Jason in Mississippi. Jason. Booyah, Kramer. Hey, I just want to say thank you for looking out for us uh, blue-collar guys. All right. Thank you very much. And I, I really appreciate it. I'm under assault and attack at a bunch of places right now just for trying to educate. But you know what? I'm not stopping. Let's go to work. All right. So my stocks are Exxon, Amazon, Altria, Carvana. And one that my daughter alerted me to and you confirmed is Roblox. All right. Absolutely. Let's go to work. Okay, I'm going to start with one that I don't recommend. Okay, but I just but I know it's got a good yield. Altria. I don't even know. It's put in its own category of tobacco. Exxon's a changing company. Uh, Last year, I said that no, that these companies have become uninvestable. They've listened to me and they are changing things up, me and others. Exxon is a much-improved company, so it's oil. Carvana, thinking about using them for my get my daughter a car. A great, terrific car company. I've used them, and I've liked them. Amazon, one of the large positions for my travel trust, com. and Roblox, which I'm going to talk about next week at my conference call. I think this is the best of the growth companies. You've got a great toy growth company. You've got the best retailer. You have an auto retailer. You've got a tobacco company. You have oil you my friend from mississippi are diversified carl in tennessee carl booyah jim booyah carl. thank you for helping us small guys out with your mission not Absolutely. only are you a wise teacher and so entertaining on cnbc all day i love seeing you on halftime shaking things up shout out to the judge and all those advisors. oh they're the best you know i love the judge off off campus too what's going on as a young investor, I use partial shares to build investing positions. Excellent. Um, I'd be honored if you'd let me know if my five largest holdings are diversified. Sure. Those are Airbnb, Coupa Software, Amazon, First Horizon, and Gap Incorporated. All right. Let's go to work. Uh We've got some good portfolios tonight and a lot of good stocks here. OK, Airbnb is a company. Brian's doing it. I happen to like Airbnb as a stock very, very much. I want to call it hospitality and retail. All right. Coupa had a quarter that, leap that people didn't think measured up this week A software as a service company. I was fine with it. It's a very high priced stock. Amazon, great retailer. First Horizon, uh, uh, Brian, does a. he's just a, Jordan's just a fantastic bagger. He's a fantastic banker. And then Gap, we saw them. We had them on just last week. They are having an unbelievable run. And then last night, we had Matt off from J.P. Morgan. He said great things about them. A retailer, what do we want to call it, a tech colossus that does uh, some retail. Um, We've got a software as a service company, a hospitality company, and a bank. That's what I call great diversification. I'm going to applaud that one. Let's go to Matt in South Dakota, please. Matt.
0: Hey Jim, happy uh, Friday from South Dakota. Oh yeah. My question
3: to you, my question to you today is: Am I diversified?
0: And the stocks in my portfolio are the following: Pepsi, Chevron, IBM, Realty Income, and Johnson and Johnson.
3: Jeez, again. These are high quality. All right, so Chevron. And now there, that's Mike Worth again. I said the oils aren't investable. Mike has answered the call. He's done some amazing things. This is my favorite large cap oil company, and I'll tell you, it's OK to own. IBN Arvin Christian is breaking the company into two. That is working. He's doing a remarkable job. Um, realty income—it's good yielders That one I would just say pick. If you want to read, that's fine. J and J, triple A AAA balance sheet. Alex Gorsky, what are you going to go wrong there? PepsiCo, Rayon on the is doing a fantastic job. It's, by the way, it's the fastest growing of the large package companies. So we got a consumer packaged goods company. We've got a drug company. We have real estate investment trusts. We have a tech company, and we have an oil and gas company. Wow, that's exactly what I'm looking for. These are how you make money. Long-term mad money is back after the break.
2: Coming up, it's a coin operated off the charts. Kramer bites down on the cryptocurrency investors covet, but may not fully
0: understand. Next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
2: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay, when the truth is,
3: Telling you that it makes sense to own some Bitcoin or Ethereum, partially as a hedge against inflation and partially for speculation. But I'm also a big believer in homework, in knowing what you own. So how do you get a handle on something that trades almost entirely on headlines and emotions? When it comes to something like Bitcoin, there are no fundamentals. You're not buying a piece of a company. There are no earnings. There's no business to analyze. When we're dealing with the stock market, that's the most important stuff. With cryptocurrencies, though, you can't do fundamental analysis, so you have to fall back one, the technicals. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Tom DeMarc. He's the pioneering head of DeMarc Analytics with a storied history of timing the markets, whose work has become incredibly popular with many people, but especially right now, crypto traders. His methodology's got a great track record when it comes to spotting tops and bottoms, especially in crypto. And right now he's searching for a bottom in Bitcoin. So take a look at the daily chart of Bitcoin going back to 2017. After a spectacular multiple-year run, it's been obliterated in recent months. We're talking about a staggering decline here. According to DeMarc, when an asset loses roughly 50% of its value within six to eight weeks, it often requires a prolonged period to recover. For example, when the stock market collapsed early last year, the COVID crash was only a 38% decline. That's a lot smaller than the recent Bitcoin meltdown. Sure, the stock market lost more than half of its value during the financial crisis, but that decline took more than a year. It was much slower than the Bitcoin breakdown. So oddly, if you want a closer historical example... In 1929, we had the Great Crash, where the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 50% of its value within a couple of months. And while the Dow managed to rebound 52% over the following five months, it quickly started rolling over again, experiencing a multi-year decline before the New Deal turned things around. Based on the 29 example, DeMarc wouldn't be surprised if Bitcoin can rally more than 50% from its lows in the not too distant future. But after that, he thinks you have to have you got to monitor it very closely. The truth is, there are only a handful of instances where an entire market has collapsed so far, so fast. And it's actually not a great sign. But before we talk about a recovery, we need to figure out whether or not Bitcoin's actually bottomed. Fortunately, that's what DeMarc's methodology is all about. He and his team look for a 13-day countdown pattern that tells them when a rally or a decline is likely to run out of steam. You can find these indicators on his website. Symbolic, and I'm going to spell that for you so you can write it down. S-Y-M-B-O-L-I-K. When it comes to Bitcoin, DeMarc's indicators have done a remarkable job of spotting both upside and downside trends exhaustion. That's the key word. Look at all those 13s on the chart near the highs and lows. His tools threw off a sell signal on April 14th, which turned out to be the exact day. Exact day that it peaked. What a call, huh? All right. Now, let's zoom in on the daily action of the past two months. When Bitcoin peaked on April 14th, DeMarc's methodology had downside projections for $32,000 and change and $24,000 and change. We hit that higher price target on May 19th. Since then, Bitcoin's been able to bounce. However, that's not enough for DeMarc to call bottom. The timing setup wasn't there yet. When you only get the price but not the timing, he says, you should expect a less pronounced reaction. So in this case, we're talking about a moderate bounce rather than a big one. Going forward, DeMarc thinks Bitcoin should be able to hold above the May 19th low on a closing basis, although it might dip below those levels on an intraday basis. Okay, so what about timing? In terms of the pattern, DeMarc's concluded that the recent action of Bitcoin looks a lot like a time that I remember very well crash of 87. Look how they line up in this daily chart. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I managed to avoid the 87 crash mostly due to luck, just like I avoided most of the Bitcoin breakdown because I sold my crypto to buy a farm. I've always said the same thing. Better to be lucky than good. DeMark says there's no guarantee that this 87 analogy will hold up. But if it does, he'd expect Bitcoin to make a new low in the next three or four weeks. He sees it trading sideways before giving us the final decline that either retests the May 19th low or makes a new one. However, that process could go faster if traders start taking DeMarc's forecast seriously and sell Bitcoin ahead of time, and that's been known to happen. How about the timing setup? Remember, DeMarc uses his proprietary 13-day countdowns to spot moments when a trend is likely to exhaust itself. But because Bitcoin bounced off its lows, it's only on buy countdown four right now. You need nine more ugly sessions before this tool will give you a buy signal. Based on the comparison of the stock market in 87, Demark thinks it'll take at least three to four more weeks before one of his buy countdowns reaches its mark. Now, obviously, it's all very tentative, but if DeMarc's right, you could get a chance to buy Bitcoin in the not-too-distant future, and I might take it. I, look, I think this 87 analogy is good news. After the crash of 87, the stock market bounced back fast. It was making new highs less than a year later. That's much more bullish than the 29 comparison. Remember, though, DeMarc's methodology tells tells him that Bitcoin hasn't finished going lower yet, meaning it's too soon to buy. While it could take a month for Bitcoin to find a bottom, DeMarc thinks the S&P 500 could be very close to a top. Check out the daily chart. Right now, the S&P is at sell count 11, meaning you only need two more up days before we get to unlucky number 13, which tells DeMarc that this rally's run out of steam. Maybe you make some sales here. However, it's not enough to have the timing countdown. DeMarc will only call a bottom if the S&P is also hitting his upside price target at roughly the same time. Unfortunately, the S&P is close. He thinks it could peak around 4335, that number there, to 4344. 4, and that's up less than 100 points from here. Some traders might just want to scalp it. Well, what's it all mean? For DeMarc, it means the S&P could peak very soon. We're talking sometime next week. Of course, if it does, if it sells off too soon or if it doesn't hit its price target, then this whole setup goes out the window. But this is definitely something you should keep your eye on. The bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Tom DeMarc suggest that Bitcoin may take another month to bottom while the S&P 500 could peak as soon as next week. Now, considering Tom's track record, that's a good reason to be patient with Bitcoin and approach the S&P with some caution. Let's go to Fred and George. Fred. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Georgia, Fred. We're Trey Young and our Atlanta Hawks. will be taking a 2-1 lead tonight over your Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA playoffs. OK, next score. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I forgot what <laughs> show we were on. I thought we were oh, on Man, Mad, mad Atlanta. So what do you have? Okay, Jim, my question is on PaySafe. Yes. I know that their digital payment processing segment has been a drag on the company, but with their recent inroads in the iGaming space with DraftKings and Caesar Entertainment, along with moving their operations to Amazon Web Services and adding the cryptocurrency platform Coinbase to their portfolio, should I buy more PaySafe or hold? I'm going to tell you to buy more. I think that uh, everything you raised in Fred, Fred, other than your uh, unbelievable unfortunate analysis of the the Atlanta Sixer game, uh, is absolutely right. And I think I'm actually quite surprised that Paysafe, while I think it's bottomed, hasn't had a move up. I would make the move and I'd do some buying. And thank you for the kind words. Let's go to Swarna in Texas. Swarna. Thank you, Jim. Action alert, club member, and thank uh, you for everything that you do. Thank you. Look forward to our club call next week. I'm making some surprising calls. What's up? Ex- excellent. Uh, the reverse trend of the 10-year yield, as we saw today, has enforced uncertainty
0: as to where the economy is headed. The belief is that the inflationary trends are only temporary, Yes. adding thereby to current confusion with regards to the consumer sentiment and confidence, as we have seen. Um, value and Versus growth is being challenged on a daily basis, yes. leading, to, leading to extreme, you know, erratic
3: market behavior. So my bottom line or the question is, how do, how do I play the market? I'm going nuts. Well, you know what? We have to take a step back, Swarna. And we have to say, okay, what companies, and you're an Action Alert member, so you, you, you are, what, is, what companies are overvalued and could be, uh, let's say, hazardous. And, you know, that's why we recommended selling Eli Lilly. What well, companies are just going down for no particular reason other than this value versus growth conundrum? And if they're going down just because of that rotation, that's when you know we have to make a bottom. But we're not going to make overall judgments about the stock market. We're only making judgments about individual stocks. All right, so tonight's charter says Bitcoin, Nick, another month to bottom. I'm probably going to go with his recommendation on Bitcoin and rebuild the position, while the S&P could peak as early early as next week. That one I'm not certain on, but I'm cautious. Now, I want you to keep an eye on both these. Okay, much more mad money, including my sit-down with United Wholesale Mortgage, which a lot of people call a meme stock over at Wall Street Bets. The company got swept up into that mania yesterday, but could there be more to the story here? Like, maybe there's a company? I've got the CEO. Then I'm giving the Wall Street best crowd something to chew on with my next investment idea. I'll reveal it. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Earlier this year, pretty much everything that's remotely connected to a SPAC got wiped out. But while there were a lot of garbage SPAC deals, there were also a few good ones, and lately some of the higher quality names have begun to bounce back. Take UWM Holdings. That's the parent company of United Wholesale Mortgage. That's the largest wholesale mortgage lender in America, meaning they're number one when it comes to working with mortgage brokers like the ones I work with. Here's a stock that's tumbled from $14 at its highs late last year, down to six and change at its lows last month. Then the company reported a solid quarter and the stock started rebounding, rising to $10 and change right now. That includes a nearly 6% move today after UWMC made a remarkable cold shot. They announced a plan to become the number one mortgage lender in America by 2024, displacing the current leader, Rocket Mortgage. And we're going to ask about this. While UWMC dominates the wholesale side, they lag behind on the retail side. Now they want to catch up. Ambitious plan. But we like ambitious, especially when the stock's as cheap as this one. It sells for just 11 times next year's earnings estimates. Plus, they're paying you to wait with a nearly 4% dividend yield. So let's check in with Matt Ishbia, he's the chairman and CEO of United, well, now UWM Holdings. Learn more about his vision for the future. Mr. Ishbia. welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. OK, so first, Matt, we just got to ask you a logical question. The housing market is red hot. we got housing starts next week. I think they're going to be amazing. I talked to Doug Yearly, who's the fabulous CEO of Toll. He says it may be the greatest housing market in history. So why why are interest rates dropping? And we saw one and a half for the 10 year. Please make some sense of it for me.
2: Yeah, no, it's really an odd market. You know, there's there's a little bit lack of inventory out there. The housing market is red hot and rates are still pretty low in general. And so the purchase season is really hot right now. We're seeing a lot of purchase here at UWM. And it's exciting because you know what, if you can close loans fast, people want to buy houses and if you can close them fast you can they'll use you as a mortgage company. that's helping us the housing market's going great we're excited about it okay so what
3: did happen though your stock fell there were your you rocket you guys there were issues in exactly how much whole, can you explain that wholesale market to us what went wrong and whether it's corrected because the stock's corrected upward
2: yeah, well, I think what happened is we got kind of pulled down when uh, Rocket and some other companies came out with some, uh, you know, very low guidance. They're all guiding to do less business in the second quarter. And right. then we kind of got lumped in with everybody else. And then after my earnings call, we talked about how we're going to do more in the second quarter. I told you to call me on the show at some point and hold me accountable. So you'll do that after the earnings call in August. But the reality is this, you know, we kind of got lumped in with everyone. Everyone heard what we said. And now people are starting to see that, you know, we're not as cyclical. So when rates are going up a little bit or if rates are not as low as they were, We win in a purchase market at UWM. So you're talking about the red housing market. That's really great for UWM. And we're going to have an all-time record quarter in the second quarter from a market share and volume perspective.
3: All right. So let's talk about your called shot. I'm looking at an article in the Detroit News. Uh, I I, I know this is a pretty bold thing. This came out yesterday. But you're saying you're going to be – Uh, You'll beat Rocket. Now, Rocket's a company that advertises a lot. Everyone kind of knows their name. They're pretty darn big. You'll beat Rocket as America's largest mortgage lender. It's not wholesale, but lender by 2024. Matt, they did 320 billion. You did 182 billion. That's a that's going to be some challenge for you. You don't have that big ad budget like they do.
2: You know, obviously, uh, it's, they're, they're a great company. Rocket, Dan Gilbert, they've done a great job and built a great business. And so everyone knows their name. We're in the wholesale channel. So we're seeing the mortgage broker, the wholesale channel, grow because it's cheaper for a consumer to get a loan through a broker, about $3,700 cheaper for people to go through a mortgage broker, even if they don't come to UWM than it is to go directly to whether it's Rocket or large banks, large retail players. So we know as consumers get educated, the mortgage broker channel will grow from 20% of the pie. To 30 or 35% of the pie, and we dominate that market, and we're gonna continue to dominate that. So our team's excited. And also don't forget this: the number one lender, you know, uh right now, they're about 92, 93% of their business is refinanced. So we're not like that. So as rates go up, maybe to three and a half or four percent sometime in the next couple of years. I believe to be number one, you don't have to do 300 billion. I think you probably have to do 200 billion in the future because oh, the market is going
3: to contract a little bit. All right. So it's possible you're saying that Rocket may come down from 320 and you, because of your wholesale business kind of insulated, might go up and uh, the twain meets. So the challenge isn't as bold as it does feel like right now when I look at the numbers. Is that a good read? Well-
2: yeah, it's a bold challenge. Listen, we, we set goals. So I had our company rally. I brought Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, some of my former basketball people to come out and talk to our team and rally our team about, hey, these are big goals. You set big goals. You say win, which is what's important. Now let's start working towards. I mean, you know what? I'm okay setting big goals. And if we miss them, we miss them. But I don't plan on missing these goals. And this specific one, we're working hard for it.
3: People should know uh, that paid for Michigan State. So it's not as bold a call to have them play. We did not. I did not play. They would not come to my show. One last question. (laughs) You have become, Matt, and uh, this meme stock. I mean, I watched all over today on this Wall Street Bets page. All I said, don't he's coming. He's coming on at 6. They don't want to mention my name because they hate me so much. He's going to be on that 6 o'clock show. What's it like to be a meme CEO. <laughs> you know,
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm happy that people follow us and are excited about what we're doing at UWM. And I, I hope it educates them on my mortgage brokers and that what UWM is doing is different than everyone else. So we're proud to be part of it with them. Hopefully they're making money. Everyone's being successful. We pay a dividend, which is obviously different than most of those stocks. And also we're very successful. We're a big company that's making a lot of money as well. So proud to be part of it. I, I love the tension because we want to help the brokers get out there. And I'm proud to be on your show and really anywhere
3: that people want to hear about UWM and what we're trying to do. All right. Excellent. Good to have you back. And yes, we're going to hold you in August. You know that. And we're going to hold you on this challenge. You know that's going to happen. You have to. The challenge is too bold. I'm excited. All Thanks. right. Good deal. That's Matt Ispia, UWM Holdings Chairman and CEO. And by the way, yes, a great basketball player, even though he was at the end of the bench. Matt Money's back after the break.
0: Coming up next.
3: Let's make money together. What do we got?
2: Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning
0: questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
3: It is time. It's time for the lighting round. It's over. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, It's Daddy? Over the light round. Let's go to Betsy in California. Betsy.
0: Hey, Jimmy. First of all, just let me thank you. I know you're short of time. I, I cannot thank you enough. You got uh, me. You're very kind.
3: Thank you. You're assaulting that Wall Street thing. What is it? The Wall Street investing? This is nice to well, hear. What's up? Me, you, got, you got me into RH. Oh. And RH, over
0: three years, are you sitting down, sort of? It's up
3: 524%. Well, I was going back and forth with Gary Freeman today. Congratulating about the quarter. I always said it. We got some nice outdoor furniture. we be sitting in momentarily. And I think that they are just getting started. I am not kidding. I think RH goes higher. John, New Jersey, John. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm Booyah doing well. to you! What's going Booyah on? Booyah to you, your staff, and all your viewers. Moody's MCO buy seller hold. Oh, Moody's is a buy, but I've got to tell you, as much as I like Moody's, I like S Global. Doug Peterson, very smart man. Two winners though. Andy in California. Andy. Hey Jim, a big LAFD United States Army retirement. Booyah. And thank you for helping me substantially bulk up my retirement nest egg. Uh, You're a good man. Thank you. Thank you for serving. Tell me what's going on. My stock is NVIDIA. Buy, sell, or hold. I never want to hear that word involved with NVIDIA. Sold. That's nothing. I like, how much do I like Nvidia? Well, let's just cut right to the chase. This is a picture of, I, do you really, I stepped out of the camera. You're never supposed to do that ever. Okay, this, oh, hi. This is a picture of the late Nvidia. You do not name a dog uh, after a company if it's not a strong one. I want you to hold Nvidia and buy something that comes under 700. Jack in Georgia, Jack. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Let nope. me tell you about SEAH. Well, I'll tell you about about that. That's Eric Grubman's back. Never bet against Grubman! He is a brilliant man, maybe one of the most brilliant guests we've ever had. Let's go to Mike in New Jersey. Mike! Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for being one of the few people left on Wall Street who actually knows what they're talking about, so thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. What's yeah, going no on? Time. So, Yeah, my question is this. I got into this stock around $30. And ever since, it's kind of gone up and down, up and down, down to 20 so on and so forth. I think it's a really good company. I think there's a lot of long-term growth there. So I want your opinion on ChargePoint Holdings. Okay, look, I think ChargePoint is very good. Uh, but it has three other competitors that we analyzed, and even though it is very, very good, the fact that it has that many competitors makes it a very difficult stock to own. Scotty in Indiana, Scotty. you, Jim, Achille? What's up? Kathy Wood and the Spotify's. now time to buy. Uh, stocks come down, come down a lot. Management is terrific. I like them very much. I know the podcast area is crowded, but I'm going to say at these levels, you want to buy Spotify. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
0: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Coming up, it's a dog eat dog world. What can a popular pet player tell us about the nature of meme stock mayhem? Kramer reveals next.
3: keep ask me why I give this Wall Street Bets crowd such a hard time on so many different platforms. The answer? It's because I think their attitude and this style of investing, if you can call it that, will ultimately get people hurt. They aren't investing so much as playing a blood sport game where the whole goal is to destroy whoever on the other side of the trade. They want to smash the short sellers They want to crush the hedge funds and they want to stick it to the man, especially if he wears a suit. Me, I think that's really self-destructive, to be honest. I mean, to put it very simply, investing is about trying to make money. Call me crazy, but I think money is important. I don't want you jeopardizing your money just to stick it to some hedge fund that doesn't even know you exist. That's why I believe investing is about finding good companies with stocks that sell at a discount to what they should be worth. Now, I can't own individual stocks personally, but I want my charitable trust to buy stocks on the cheap and then wait until their value comes out. I don't care who's on the other side of the trade. I care about my side of the investment. It's that desire to crush your opponents that I find to be a needless waste of time and energy. What brings me to the curious case? Well, let's just say. Let's go to a very interesting comparison. Let's compare GameStop versus Chewy. Now, the memesters love GameStop because they they were able to use its stock to bring the short-selling hedge funds to their knees by taking the share price up quickly via a blitz of buying call options and common stock at the same time. Oh, it worked. And lots of bettors made money. I say, good for them. They won. But many of these guys don't seem to understand why they won. In reality, what they did was they engineered a gigantic short squeeze. However, they think they won because they're backing an insurgent investor, Ryan Cohen, who's now GameStop's chairman. Uh, you now, Cohen, who owns a lot of stock in this GameStop, originally co-founded Chewy, the fabulously successful web-based pet food retailer. To the Wall Street Bets crew, Cohen's history at Chewy makes it a sure thing that he'll be able to turn around GameStop. I mean, now that he's installed his own team of former Amazon executives, they think he's ready to roll. I say, wait a second. If you idolize Ryan Cohen because, well, you think he built something incredible at Chewy, then why not just Bye bye bye! Buy some Chewy, which was down badly today after just reporting a very good quarter. Last night, we had Sumit Singh on. He's the CEO. And he talked about how the company's winning on so many fronts, deluxe, pet foods, healthcare, Hey, even simple things, dog birthday cards. They have about 20 million customers with a huge percentage on auto ship. That's the holy grail, right? That explains why the company can have such gigantic and expanding gross margins for an e-tailer. Chewy's getting more and more sales per customer, and it's the share of the wallet. And the longer a customer stays in the fold, the more that customer spends. Now, it's easy to see why. I mean, come on. They send you portraits of your dog. This is uh, Marley, Mr. Marles. We've been calling him lately. And they send you condolence notices. This is the late NVIDIA, who was a very good boy, who subsequently doubled after he left us. And as I learned from Ms. Marilyn on Twitter, uh, which has been cleaned up lately, a lot of nice people on Twitter, she said that her cat died and Chewy sent her a dozen roses. The CEO, Sumit Singh, used to work at Amazon. He understands scale, but he's accomplishing the impossible at at Chewy. He's creating individuality at scale. I can't believe it. And that's something I'm sure Ryan Cohen, who's no longer involved in any way, shape, or form with Chewy, must have learned there, too. However, this week, GameStop plummeted when Cohen gave shareholders no plan to turn things around beyond selling another 5 million shares to raise money. But Singh, he gave you a list of 6,000 centers to adopt dogs. And remember... The great thing about NVIDIA, who some people still insisted on calling Everest, is he was a dog that had been beaten severely and we were happy to get him. Marley was at a kill center and we got him right before that happened. And I like the fact that Chewy is bringing to light the centers that you can get dogs at. He's also offered 7,000 vets they've gotten together who are helping his health care initiative, and that can bring down the cost of owning a pet without sacrificing on quality. Uh, Simit talked about the long-term value of Chewy's customers. Unfortunately, because he only delivered an inline new subscriber number, his stock got clobbered. But let me ask you something. Which would you rather have? The knockdown stock of an also-ran, out-of-date, brick-and-mortar video game retailer with a very uncertain future that's run by a former Chewy guy and is already up 1,138% or a terrific, dominant digital retailer with a crush stock off 16% that's run by a current Chewy guy? I don't know about you, but I'll take the real chewy any day of the week. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find one just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.